So uh, you can go ahead and have a seat. We're glad you're here today. And uh, I am going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. So if you brought your Bible or if you brought a device, that would be a great place to turn because that's where we're going to be all day. We're going to walk through that. And so I want to start with a question. How many of you, if I could show you from the Bible what it means to be blessed, would want to participate in God's blessing? Would, want, would you like to do that? Amen? I mean, come on now. That was a weak thing, kind of. All right. You got to help me a little bit here. Come on. And by the way, if you're online with us, thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here as well. So Psalm 1, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be blessed by God. We're going to look at several dimensions of what that looks like. And so let me start by defining for us what it means to be blessed. So, you know, that's a word that Christians throw out uh, a lot. Bless you, you know. God bless you. I mean, that's a lot of language. So what does that literally mean when we say bless you? Or if God wants to bless us, what does that literally mean? So let me see if I can help put some ideas in your head uh, about that. You search the Scripture, see if I'm not right. But here's what I think. I believe to be blessed is marked by God's favor. When I am blessed by God, what it means is, is that I'm marked out by God's grace. And that is so good. And it always results in the same thing. It results in spiritual joy in my life. When I am blessed, when I'm receiving the blessings of God, it always results in the idea that I have this amazing joy that is flowing out of my life. Does that describe you? That there's joy flowing out of your life? You're not looking like it this morning. I'm just saying. <laughs> did I say that out loud? I did. Yeah, okay. I was thinking it. I, don't, I just didn't, couldn't, I couldn't, didn't know if I said it out loud. So, uh, so here's the deal. You, you know, we should look like, Christians should look like we're having fun as well, right? That there's joy flowing out of our lives. We shouldn't look like pickles. So, so let's see if we can figure out, let's figure out what it is to be blessed by God. So in Psalm 1, that's where we're at today, all day, Psalm 1. God describes blessing in four or five different ways. So let me see if I can kind of unpack this for us. And the first way that God describes being blessed is people who are blessed have the right influences in their life. That's what it means to be blessed. So let me show you this from verse 1. Psalm 1 says, there's this word, this we're going to start right from the beginning, blessed or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, un of the wicked, nor the stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers or scorners. So the issue here is not talking about location. So if you read this verse, you would think at, at first glance, you'd think, wow, I probably, what God is telling me then, and I got to become a monk somewhere. I got to find some cave and l move into it, and I've got to isolate myself because the world is filled with scoffers and and sinners and, and people that just don't treat other people well. You know, so do I have to isolate myself? Here's what I think this verse means. I think the issue here is not talking about location. I think it's talking about saturation. So it's not, it's, here's the deal. You and I are called to go by God to go into all the world and make disciples. So I'm supposed to have, look at me when I say this to you, I'm supposed to have unbelieving friends. I'm supposed to have that because if I don't, there's absolutely no way that I'm ever going to have an influence on their salvation. You know, Christianity isn't just about, you know, me getting a, you know, a box and going down on Virginia Street and stepping up in the box and screaming at sinners as they walk by. Although some people do that. 
I've seen it oftentimes, but that's not God's method. God's method is for you and I to be in relationship with sinners and scoffers and people that don't know Jesus, and so that you and I can have influence on their life. So I don't think it's location. I don't think you and I should separate ourselves out. I think it's saturation. The issue here is who's influencing who. If I'm being influenced by them, wrong choice. If I'm becoming more like them than me, than the, than the reverse of that, then I'm just saying there is a, there is a, there's something that's gone wrong here. Now, there are three characteristics of the person that is blessed. First of all, first of all, this person avoids being influenced by wickedness. I don't become like them. I can stand out. I separate myself from the behavior and that, you know, they can make fun of me. They can say whatever they want to about me, but I should stand out as someone who doesn't or isn't influenced by wickedness. And I think, secondly, if I'm going to be blessed by God, I need to, I need to oppose worldly attitudes. So what does that look like? What is what, you know, so in the Bible, the Bible says, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father cannot be in you. What in the world does that mean? I mean, come on now. What, what does it mean to be worldly? I mean, we, you know, Christians talk about it, but I'm not sure we understand really what it means. So let me see if I can help you in a simplest way to understand what worldliness means. I believe it is a value system that always exalts self. That's worldly. I think you can tell whether you're acting worldly when it's all about you as opposed to being all about God. Make sense? So as you evaluate the things around you, and all you have to do, uh, you don't have to look very far to see worldliness in our, in our culture. All you have to do is look in social media. And you see a lot of people out there exalting themselves as opposed to exalting God. And then a third thing, a third element that comes right out of our text is that I believe that someone who is blessed refuses a godless lifestyle. That we put Christ at the center of our life, that we don't care what other people think or say or do. Doesn't matter if anybody follows us. We're going to live for Jesus and for Him alone. Now having said that, there are a lot of things that influence us. There are influencers in our world today. So let's talk about the things that have perhaps the greatest influence over the culture that you and I live. Things that produce worldliness and the things that produce godlessness and the things that produce wickedness. What are those things inside of the culture that you and I live? First of all, I think there are three primary ones, and there are many more, but let me just talk about three that I know for sure that influence the culture that you and I live. The first one is the idea of music. Music is an extremely powerful thing in our lives. We're wired by God to enjoy music, to like it, to move when music happens. You and I are wired that way. It's a gift from God. But on the other side of the coin, music can also be something that is very devastating and, and a bad influence in our lives. I can remember, you know, I can remember driving down the freeway and having a song come on the oldie station. I talked to you about this a couple weeks ago. And I, can, and I can start singing the words as if I had just heard them yesterday. I can't remember you know, my cousin's names. I'm just kidding. I can't. I can't. <clears throat> but I can remember, I can remember music that comes out of the 60s and 70s. And so here's the deal, is that we got to be really careful with music. Some research has suggested that it can increase our aggressiveness. 
In fact, there's a study that was recently done in the UK where they explored drill music. Drill music is a kind of genre, of, it's a rap genre, and it is characterized by threatening lyrics. And what they discovered is, is that when this genre was introduced, that violence started going up inside the UK just simply because it was inciting it along the way. So how influential is music in our lives? Well, how, is it, how influential is it on our behavior? So several years ago, there was a recording artist that was coming through Reno. He contacted me, asked me if he could stay in my home. And so we agreed. So my kids were small kids. Uh, my daughter's around five. My boys are probably, my twins are around three, somewhere in that area. And, you know, we were sitting in my front room and we were just talking. He was telling me about what God was doing in his life. And, and my kids were just sitting on the floor playing. Passive. I mean, that was a great moment. Because that didn't happen very often. And so he said, he said, you want to see something? In fact, this is what he said. I'll bet you that without saying a word that I can make your kids get up and run around like crazy people. So I'm a sucker for a good bet. <laughs> you know, so I bet him on this. And... Uh, so we had a piano. I don't play the piano. My wife doesn't play the piano. But we inherited a piano. It was in my living room. And so he walked over to my piano, opened the, you know, the thing, and started playing the piano. And within, within a minute, my kids were up running around like wild people. It was just, I mean, it was, you know, I had to pay up my bet. And I, I learned that day a very important lesson that music has a deeper influence on us than we think it does. And so we have to be very careful with how we let music influence us. If, it is being, if it's being used by God to allow us to worship Him or to move in godly ways or to think godly thoughts, that is an amazing use of music. But if it is doing the opposite, if I find myself angry and bitter and resentful, maybe I have to look at some of the sources that I'm allowing to come into my life because I need to make sure that I'm not letting the evil one manipulate me in any way, shape, or form. There's a second influencer in our culture, and that is icons in our culture. Now, what I mean by that is famous people. And what's interesting is, is just because someone has talent, maybe they can act, maybe they can speak, maybe they can play basketball, maybe they can play football, I don't know, maybe they're badminton, I don't know. But in our culture, if you have a name, we just automatically assume that you're really smart. And we follow people that say really stupid and ignorant things just because they have celebrity status. And I've got a, a newsflash for you. No judgment, just a newsflash. Oprah is not Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Not Jesus. So icons in our culture influence what we do and how we think and what we, what we think about social issues. And it is pretty frightening to know how much influence someone just because they have talent can have over other people's lives. Should scare you. That should scare you. All right? Social media. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Social media has become one of the biggest influencers in our culture. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction plus a social media overreaction. 
right? If you've seen that on Facebook and other social media. Not only does social media propagate things that are untrue, I'm surprised at how many people buy things or, you know, buy into things that are just because they're posted on Facebook. It must be true, right? If it's on Facebook, they would never lie to me. People on Facebook would never lie to me, right? That's just not going to happen. The latest that I saw, <laughs> this is just funny, is somebody, they were talking about, no, get, you know, don't be vaccinated. And I'm not here to be in the political nature of that. I just want to tell you how stupid it is when someone gets on Facebook and puts a magnet up to their arm and says, look, they put implanted a chip into my arm. I'm just saying, how gullible are we in that process? Well, I was pretty gullible because when I, after I got vaccinated, I tried it. <laughs> and it didn't work. I'm, I was disappointed. It didn't work. I'm just saying, it didn't work. But you know what the most dangerous thing about social media is? And that's all in fun, right? If we can't laugh about ourselves, there's something wrong. And, you know, so if you're all ripped off because I talked about vaccinations, I'm just simply saying, hey, let me buy you a life. I'll, I, you know, we'll talk afterwards. I'll let me buy you a life. There's better things to be ripped off than that about. But what is the most dangerous thing about Facebook is this, is that it's, it's the comparison game that's destroying people's lives, actually causing suicides because of things like body imaging. Oh, I could never have a body like that, right? Or how about something as simple as this? Uh, I don't have as cool as family as you do. You know, so I, I, it's this comparison. So I, so I feel bad about myself because, man, I look on Facebook and you do all these fun things and your, your kids are pretty and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and so I'm just simply saying, you know, that is a trap that really causes a lot of damage. It influences how we love people. It influences how we respond to people. It is a very dangerous thing. Social media is an influencer. If I want the blessings of God, I've got to let God be the source of my influence. I got to let his word speak into me as the ultimate authority inside of my life. Make sense? So, number two, bless people, abide in the Lord. That's found in verse two. It says, but his delight, this is the one that's blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. The New Testament version of this particular idea is abiding in Jesus. You and I are not under the law. That's Old Testament. But what we are bound to is the principle of abiding in Jesus. That's what we're to do, John 15. So there, there's some key words when we think about abiding in Jesus and what that means. There's some really key words of what that looks like. One is that if I'm abiding in Jesus, if I want to be blessed by God, I got to take great delight in God. I got to delight in God more than I delight in anything else in the world. Because if I don't, smile at me when I say that, I'm committing idolatry. When I take greater delight in other things other than God, when, he, when those things give, give me a greater delight, there's something wrong inside of my spirit. God gives us all things to enjoy, but we should delight solely and mostly in God. And then another idea is the idea 
If we're going to abide in Jesus, we should learn how to pursue him with all of our hearts and minds and spirit. So delight in him and pursue him. Pursuing God is like a game of hide and seek. Played it when you were a kid, right? Maybe some of you still play it. I don't know. Not here to judge. Hide and seek is a great game. And uh, God is in a game of hide and seek with us, which he always lets us win. Have you ever wondered, this is interesting, have you ever wondered why God speaks in parables? There's a reason behind that. Because God is looking for those who will pursue him and delight in him. He's actually playing a game, so to speak, of hide and seek with us where he hides himself but then reveals himself. It's fascinating. A father doesn't try to prove his superiority by hiding Easter eggs where his kids can't find him, right? I mean, that would just be cruel. He hides them so his kids will experience the excitement of the search and the delight of the discovery. So God hides just enough of himself. He makes it evident that he's there, but he hides just enough of himself that we have this need in our life to search for him. Interesting. The same is true of the idea of, of the hide-and-see game itself. Think about that. Our Father is no different. He wants us to experience, listen to this carefully, the excitement of searching for him and the delight of finding him. Have you ever done that? Search for him and then found him. God delights in, from start to finish in that process. God hides then to be found. That's the parables. God hides to be found. And it's a beautiful picture. The results of this pursuit of God, when you and I jump into this pursuit of God and delight in God, the results of this pursuit in God are found in verse number three. And this is what it says. So the implication is the one who is pursuing God and delighting in God, verse three says, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So here the Bible teaches us that there are really are four things that happen when I delight in the Lord, when I delight and pursue God. There is four things that happen in my life. First of all, and probably most importantly, I have stability. There's stability in my life. I don't walk on quicksand. Do you ever feel like you're walking on quicksand? Do you ever feel like you're walking in the mud? That no matter what you do, you can't get ahead? That you find, you know, just about the time you, you find to get your footing and you, you slip and fall again? I'm simply saying, the one who delights in the Lord, one of the results is a stability in our life that God delights in producing for us. Another thing that God delights in producing for us is the idea of, being, of bearing fruit. He wants in your life, more than you want it, He wants you to bear fruit for His kingdom. He delights in that. He wants you, in this pursuit of God, to find Him and then allow His Spirit to work in your life in such a way that you find fruitfulness. And then there's the idea of longevity, that your fruit doesn't wither. It stays, it remains. There's this idea that it matters, that what you do matters. And then the idea of prosperity. Prosperity isn't in the sense that maybe you think it is. You're not going to hit the lottery. 
That's not the prosperity that God's talking about here. But the reality is the kind of prosperity that God's talking about here is the kind of prosperity where you find, you look back over your life and you see a life that God has used. That's prosperity. You see a life that God has blessed. You see a life that is filled with God's grace. That's prosperity. That's a result of abiding in Him. Then number three, the blessed life or blessed people have great value to God. Now we come to verse number four. So there's this comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous. So we come to verse four, and this is what it says in verse four. And the wicked, those people outside the faith, that's how God is describing them. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So what is that a picture of? What is chaff? Well, chaff is something really interesting. Chaff is the residue of the harvest. It has absolutely no value. It's thrown into the wind and the wind drives it away. So godly people have great value to God. God produces stability and amazing work in their life. The, un, the unbeliever is not so, but are like the chaff. Your value to God, by the way, has very little to do with your choices. So let's mind this for just a second. Your value to God is not about you and what you do. Your value to God is about what he's done for you. That's the gospel. So let's dig even deeper than that. Let's talk about your, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop preaching and I'm gonna meddle with your spirituality for just a few minutes. Do you mind? Because well, you probably do, but I, I'm gonna do it anyway. So you're on the front row, you're stuck. I'm just saying. <clears throat> so let's talk about spirituality. Let's talk about yours for just a few minutes. So let me talk about what it is and what it isn't. Spirituality isn't a formula. I'm not spiritual because I take this and I take that and I add this to my life. It's not a formula. It's not A plus B equals C. It's not a formula. It is not a test. It is relationship. Spirituality can be boiled down to a relationship to Christ, period. Spirituality is not about competency. It's not about getting better. It's not about turning a new leaf over. It's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. Somehow thinking that if I just get better, if I just strive to do better, that somehow I'm going to be blessed by God. It's not about perfection. It's about connection. Being connected to God. The way of the spiritual life begins when you and I accept the mess of our life that we're right now currently in. That's where it begins. I don't clean my life up. I don't try to make it better. My spiritual journey with God begins when I accept for a fact that I'm a hot mess and the person sitting next to you is a hot mess. Don't say amen to that. I'm just saying, you're going to get me in trouble after the services. I'm just saying. You know, here's, here's, my, here's my story. I got saved when I was 23. And I struggled with certain issues when I was 23. Some of those issues God has let me have victory over. And some of them he hasn't. I still have some of the same problems that I had when I was 23. The difference is, is that I bring them into the presence of God. That's the difference. Spirituality begins when I stop hiding from God 
and I stop trying to perform for God and I begin to let His grace penetrate my life in a deep reality. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of true spirituality. And it takes all judgment away from anybody else. I can't judge anybody else because when I look in the mirror and I'm honest with what I see in the mirror, it really humbles me. Spirituality, a spiritual life, isn't about removing your flaws. No. But because we are seeking God, He then reveals Himself to us, and in His presence, we find wholeness. That's spirituality. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about being in the presence of God, day in and out, 24-7, 24-7, in our mess, without trying to hide anything, in our unfixedness, being in the presence of God. I just made up a word. In our unfixedness, I just present my body to God. And He knows. I can't hide it from Him. He knows my struggles. He knows my problems. He knows my thought life. He knows, he knows everything about me. And yet He pours His grace out on me all the more. The fourth thing about this blessed life is blessed people withstand the judgment of God. Let me show you this. Verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The judgment of the righteous is coming. You are going to be judged. Do you understand that? You're going to be judged. But here's what I can promise you. As a child of God, you'll never be judged for your sins. Ever be judged for your sins. Do you know what you'll be judged for? Your works. And you know what the purpose of that judgment is? It's to give you eternal reward. It's not, it's not to condemn you. Your judgment isn't about condemnation. That's to the unbeliever. But the blood of Jesus Christ, His blood is sufficient to cover all of my sins, past, present, and future. It's sufficient. And so I stand before God without condemnation. And if you're following Jesus, you do the same thing. And this condemnation is one of the root causes of, uh, of, of our lives. When you and I don't understand the grace of God, what we allow to trickle into our lives is condemnation, shame. All those things are tools of the evil one. But the blood of Jesus Christ removes all condemnation. There is now, therefore, Paul says, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And think about this. When there's condemnation, there'll be fear. When you feel condemned, you're fearful, right? When there is fear... There's going to be stress. And when there is stress, there will be manifestations of the curse. What I mean by that is that you're going to have bad behavior. When you feel condemned, it's going to drive you to bad behavior. But when you find the grace of God in your life, it is just the opposite of that. All condemnation is gone. And just, so you're, just for the record, you do not become holy when you stop drinking, doing drugs, or anything else in your life. You don't become holy because you stopped doing something. And you didn't become holy because you started going to church. You, become, you became holy when you trusted in the gospel of grace. Period. And at that moment in time, and at that moment in time, God wiped away all condemnation from your life. So that when you stand before God, the purpose 
of your judgment will simply be to hand out rewards. Here, this is for your faithfulness. Here, this is, you did good here. This is for your faithfulness. It's not about condemnation. And I'm surprised that how many Christians do not understand this idea of being, having condemnation removed from their lives so that I can stand in purity before God. So here's what I want to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, with no one looking around for just a second. We're almost done. If you have never, and I, I am convinced those of you that are listening to me or those of you that are here on campus today, I'm convinced that some of you, maybe even a lot of you, have just added church to your life. But you haven't subtracted condemnation. I want to give you an opportunity right now where you're sitting. Right now. To pray this simple prayer that's life-changing. Dear God, I am a mess and I can't fix it. But I need your presence. And so today I confess that Jesus died for my sins and that he rose again. And I confess and believe because your word says it that I will never stand before you, God, in condemnation. That's life-changing. You can look up at me for a second. One last thing. Verse 6. Blessed people have intimacy and protection from God. Blessed people have that. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is so powerful. Here's how I define intimacy. People who know Jesus have intimacy. Here's how I define it. It is being in a relationship that I don't have to lie about anything. That's intimacy. If I'm in a marriage and I have to lie to stay in the marriage, I don't have intimacy. And what God offers you and I is intimacy. That's one of the biggest benefits. He wants to have intimacy with us. He wants you to be in a relationship with Him where you don't have to lie anymore. You don't have to hide. You don't have to do any of those games. You can be yourself. You can speak the truth to God. He already knows exactly what's going on in your life. And so because of that, I want you all to stand with me. And this is how we're going to finish our time together. So does that sound good to you? I mean, does that sound like the kind of God that you want to serve? It does to me too. And so I have boiled down the powerful Christian life to four words. And if you receive these four words into your life and act on them, I believe that you'll have a blessed life based on Psalm 1. Here are the four words. Just receive them. I'm speaking them over you. And in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive them. So here they are. Relationship. Stop. I'm, stop playing the games. I just want to be in a relationship to you, God. I just want relationship. And there's a vast difference between that and going to church. Second word is intimacy. 
Intimacy is the lack of fear. I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to fear rejection. I don't have to lie. I don't have to lie to anybody. I don't have to lie to God in particular. Next key word is connection. What I need in my life is a connection that will never falter. This life offers none of that. Every human relationship you have can fail. It can fail, but not with God. You can enter a connection with God that is forever and ever and ever. And the last word is truth. If I take those four words, relationship, intimacy, connection, and truth. If I take those into my life, and that's my DNA. When people think of me, that's who they think of. Here's a person who has a relationship to God. Not perfect. Here's a person who has intimacy with God. Talks to God like they know Him. Connection. Connected to the living God. And then walking in truth. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hands out. If you have anything in them, put it down. I want you to turn them upside down like this. No, this is right side up. I'm sorry. Right side up. I'm a little confused. It's Sunday. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. This is the posture of receiving in God's kingdom. This is the posture of receiving. So I want to speak these words over your life one more time. And I just want you to receive them. I want you to receive them. I want you to receive this from God, not from me. This comes from the hand of God. This is what God desires for your life. Relationship, intimacy, connection, and truth. Will you receive that? You take that into your life and make that your DNA, and I promise you one thing. I don't know much, but here's what I do know. I know that God cannot lie. And I know that this is the blessed life right here. This is what it boils down to. This is the blessed life. And may it be true in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.